0: Adrian Knight is a serial entrepreneur who has had over 10 startups and now mainly focuses on acquiring, growing and restructuring businesses. From his early struggles, including a nervous breakdown and addiction, Adrian has risen to become a powerhouse in the world of entrepreneurship. In this episode, you will learn about how to acquire companies and get a deep understanding of the hardships that may come with it. You'll hear about Adrian's journey exploring personal development, business triumphs and the wisdom he's gained along the way
1: so when i was 15 i was obese um like I was, I was significantly overweight and um i remember we was on a holiday up in scotland in loch ness and we was all just jumped in the car we'd gone away with some family friends and um i left my jumper in the log cabins we were staying in and i, I ran in to pick up my jumper and as i ran past the mirror i, I sort of glanced at myself from like my side like just like side view and it stopped me in my tracks and looking back at me was this person who I didn't recognize I was it was me but I was significantly overweight and it's the first time I'd ever really seen myself like that I'd never seen myself as overweight I knew I was a little bit on the bigger side but not to that extent and it just completely startled me in my in my tracks and I I picked up my jumper and I got back in the car and we went off to where we was going and it was playing on my mind. And I just it was a real like shake, I guess, a shake of my soul. And we got to where we was going and we uh, was we out to like sort of um, do some just like outdoor like adventuring stuff. And I was walking along and I was like, this isn't me. I'm going to um, I'm going to uh, to drop this weight. And I made that decision. And so as I turned 16, I was in that process. And within a period of 10 months, I had had lost, I think it was the best part of eight stone. I mean, it was significant, but I transformed. So all of a sudden I was 16, um, soon to be leaving school. um, And I was a different person. And all of a sudden I was getting the attention of girls for the first time. And I was going into this into this phase where I was finally getting some freedom because at school I was always, people said that I was intelligent but I never applied it because I was bored. I've got ADHD and so I always done just the bare minimum to to pass, I was that sort of lower grade C student but I could have been higher and and that had a few experiences in college where that sort of proved itself. But leaving school I was this literally a new person And I found myself with a new social circle and I was loving it. I was absolutely loving life. And for the next two years over college, it was the same principle. We had great times. I was the first to pass my driving test. So I had everyone in my car. Um, But I had this urge to get out and explore the world. And I wanted to drop out of college to go and just do my own thing. But my dad convinced me I don't know how, but he convinced me to, to stay, to see through my exams. And so the compromise I made was my final exam was, I'll never forget this. It was 4 PM on a Tuesday afternoon. That was my final exam in mathematics. And by 9 AM the next morning on the Wednesday morning, I was in Paris having breakfast and I spent the next Basically the whole summer traveling Europe and I went to 12 different countries and I'd planned out this big itinerary of well, these little the places I'm going to go and it's all I'm going to do but I was so excited I ended up uh, doing that full itinerary within four weeks. And so I found myself at Rome train station, central train station in Rome at the end of this four weeks, having done everything on my plan with this ticket, an interrail ticket so I could travel anywhere in Europe, just jump on. And I was like, where do I want to go? And I was looking up at the board. I was like, do I want to go to Switzerland or Austria? And that was when the trip started for me. It was when the plan had been dropped and I just went with uh, like my instincts and went with the flow and the, and it was just the most phenomenal experience so I came back from that on a high and again I was a completely different person I had made a list of all of the things I was going to do when I got back and um, you know because you had so much time to reflect and introspect and I was um, I was coming back and I was coming back into an apprenticeship as a bricklayer and uh, I was really looking forward to it because I've always wanted to build Things I've always wanted to build, and I've always loved property, so I couldn't wait to get started in this apprenticeship. But the reality of that was very different to what I had in my mind, and um, it it was a complete mismatch. And I found myself starting to smoke a lot of marijuana. Um, I was completely dis like associated with. Um, with the role and um, I wasn't even there a year it was about 10 months and at the end of that 10 months I got signed off because I'd had a nervous breakdown by my doctor and that was the point in which um, I remember they subscribed me like various forms of medication I wasn't sleeping so I had sleeping tablets and I remember sitting on my bed at my parents house with the tablets in one hand looking at them thinking I don't want to go this route I want to I want to figure this out myself and so I didn't take a single tablet but that started a journey for me of like I was truly at rock bottom and having gone from such a high the previous year and it started this journey of building myself up brick by brick and it was the the process was very much you had a brick you had another brick and then they both fall down so you have to start again and again and it was just that pattern really until I Started to find my way a little bit in my, yeah, as I sort of turned twenty. So
0: yeah, I mean, I can completely relate to that that whole idea of if I tried harder in school, I would have done better because I had the exact same thing where teachers are like Sam, if you just tried a little bit harder, you could become an A grade student. I'm like, oh, I don't even want to be here. Like, I don't see the point what? in any of this. You know, they <laughs> and I unfortunately was pushed to do A levels. I say unfortunately, I you know got good enough grades to do A levels, got good enough grades to go to uni and all that kind of stuff, but that point where you said you started disassociating and smoking a lot of weed that is definitely the same kind of thing that I did because you just want all the Mm. thoughts in your head to kind of slow down and you want to chill and all this kind of stuff and I think it's part of that going from the high of all that traveling and seeing the world to coming back and being a bricklayer and life suddenly slows down I had that same feeling but in a way that Mm. I thought I was going to be doing all this you know crazy big stuff and I slowly saw the walls closing in of, okay, you go to uni, you get a job, you work this job for the next 30 years. And it, it didn't help that I was studying something really boring like accounting and finance. And, you know, in, in your <laughs> in your world, you know, you was Brick Lane, you know, to go from traveling around the world to Brick Lane is a, a big, big transition. And it's not normally two things that go together. Normally the type of person that travels the world wants to continue traveling the world or wants to work for themselves. And I think it's one of those things where, when you're in that kind of low state or that rock bottom like you said you you don't really know what the next step is you don't really know what mm-hmm. you're going to do so you kind of just do what's there do you know what i mean so yeah once you've kind of gone through this process of a you know transformational thing of going from obese to in shape traveling around the world brick lane doesn't quite work out and you know you're sat there with these pills you're like right I'm not taking these I'm gonna level up I'm gonna go to the next level because right now I'm at the bottom and something that a lot of people don't know is rock bottom also has a basement that you can slip slip into (laughs) but what was that process like of you know building yourself up and and coming out of that space where you know you are in a, a vulnerable state what did you do what was the kind of business or career move that you decided to make at that time as a 20 something year old man
1: So, yeah, so I was just coming up to turning 20 and my girlfriend, uh, my first proper girlfriend, um, she was going to university and it had dawned on me that she was going to university and I was staying in there uh, in a job uh, like an apprentice that I hated. Um, And it just made me realise, like it it, it really broke me actually and it just made me realise that I don't want to be... Doing this, And so I ended up going to university as well. I applied for um, different universities. I, I got accepted to study architecture at Bristol University, but then decided against that because I couldn't see myself studying for seven years to then be doing that job for the rest of my life. Um, so I ended up going to university that was actually fairly close to home uh, to study construction management so I was more the project manager on the building site I was like okay that's pretty cool I can deal with that so I went to university and I lasted three weeks Um, and there was a couple reasons for that the first was I was I had learned through my travels and I'd learned through that experience as a bricklayer and I'm still at rock bottom here Um, but I had learned that it just didn't make any sense to me to be doing things that you didn't like because it was the norm to do them. And I saw this at university where there were so many of my friends who were in degrees that hated doing it, but they, they stuck it out for the three years. And I, I respect the persistence, but I also think there's a little bit of insanity in some of the cases there not all of them but some of the cases um and that just wasn't me so i i was looking around in this construction management course and finding out more about this career path i was like i do not see myself doing this for the next 40 years of my life i just do not see myself doing it but i had simultaneously started a um a little business in those first three weeks at university which was a, uh, it was just before Facebook, so it was a student advertising business. So we used to go around the student nights and take loads of photos of uh, people out, and then we'd stick them onto our website. Give everybody like a business card, or, like go to the website, see your photos. But at the, at the same time, we had already approached local businesses and said, "Hey, do you want to attract loads of students?" you can pay to advertise on our website and it worked Um, and so within the three weeks that had got going quite quickly um, and I just made a decision that I wasn't going to continue with my course but I was going to continue doing this student thing because I didn't really have anything else to do and that evolved to the point where I I actually ended up staying at university for three years Um, so I left when all my friends leaving, But I wasn't studying. I was living the student life. In many ways, I was living a better life because that student advertising business had evolved to um, we started running the event nights and then we were running every major event night, student event night in Reading, uh, where the university was. um, So four nights a week. Plus we had the advertising, plus we had a paid weekly column in the Reading Chronicle where I had one of my friends wanted to be a writer, write it. And so it's this great little operation and it it should have been so much more fun than it was for me. Like a lot of my friends were having the time of their life because they always got the VIP treatment and the bars would give us like crates of free alcohol. So you were like one of the most popular people, um in the year but it was like the last thing I wanted I was I just wanted to be locked up in my room basically and there was this real inner conflict and um there were times I remember there's like parties going on downstairs and people knocking on the door saying come down come down and I physically couldn't open the door I couldn't look them in the eye yet I was there promoting these student nights it was such weird since like it was two different extremes and um that was really challenging yeah it was it was really challenging it was a shame because it could have been absolutely amazing but it wasn't like it was good but it was also it was highlighting all of the weaknesses and all of the work that I had to do and um, yeah and I, I sort of gradually started to again build myself up sort of brick by brick. I had a few more bricks by this point than when I first um, was sort of still in the apprentice bricklayer. Um, but I still was far from right. And I remember my best mate saying to me, like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just snap out of it? He just had no concept of, like, it's the depression and the uh, the just the desire to be a hermit of recluse, really, to try and figure this out. So it was... Yeah, it was a weird experience. I'm not quite sure. I feel there's a deeper meaning to it. And I feel like I'm still figuring out what that was. I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but yeah, I still feel there's something deeper to that.
0: Yeah, no, most definitely. And the thing is with being a first time entrepreneur is you don't really know up from down or left from right. You're kind of just doing everything and what works sticks type thing and for you, you yeah. realised that the kind of thing you were doing just wasn't sitting well with you or you just weren't enjoying it so much. So talk to me to, about the process of getting out of that business or kind of closing that business down and then what you did after that because as much as you could have stayed running that and you know, maybe sold it, I, I get a feeling that you kind of just was like, right, I'm on to the next thing as opposed to you know, thinking of it as a an asset yeah, that it was it, type it, thing.
1: It, it was pretty much like that. So I didn't want to be... That 30-year-old still hanging around with students who are 1920, um, it just felt a little bit weird for me. So I'd already earmarked and I sat down and thought about this. It's like there is a business here that could be built, and do I want to grow this into something bigger, like a like a national student business, and have more of an organisation behind it? But I just felt like That I just couldn't see myself doing that. So the process of moving on from that was actually quite, quite straightforward. It was quite simple, Um, and yeah, it was a case of just tying up some of the loose ends and and moving on really. And I had decided that there was quite a few lessons I wanted to take from that. There's quite a few lessons that I had learned from that experience, personal and professional. Um, But I uh, also recognized that there were skills that I needed to develop as well. So, uh, like quite a few of my friends, I decided to go into recruitment, uh, specifically IT recruitment, primarily because I wanted to sharpen my uh, business development skills and learning how to sell to businesses. Talk to me about
0: the, the kind of IT transition. What was that like for you to go from a job that kind of had, you know, more of a, a- relationships based kind of model to now working in tech
1: essentially I loved it yeah I loved it and I, th- I thrived really quickly in that so I joined as a trainee I got promoted within uh, it was within how long was it I mean it was a couple of months it was really fast and then uh, 18 months later I was leading the uh, one of the teams there so a small group of, of people and I really enjoyed that time and um, yeah, I really enjoyed that time. I mean, it was definitely a bit sharky We like recruitment, um, but that kind of goes with the territory, I guess. And that in itself was quite a few, flu- uh, quite a few sort of learning lessons. But again, I I learned I learned what I wanted to learn from that particular phase, and uh, I actually ended up like coming back to recruitment a couple of times over um, over the over the years. So I left that. Um, I left that role because I wanted to do some more travelling, and I went out to uh, Thailand and Australia. But it was a very different experience to when I travelled Europe. Europe was a real elation, but I was still battling with this depression and this uh, sort of like low confidence. And it was just remarkable because in the I was sort of in an environment where you had to be really confident, and the ones who were confident succeeded. Like. I succeeded, but I wasn't the confident one. It was so weird. Um, but that that trip, that was, I mean, it was deep, if I'm honest. I was highly reclusive, didn't really engage with many people. I was soul searching. I was looking, I was trying to understand what it was I was meant to do. And I just couldn't figure it out. And there was the other side of, I just wasn't confronting some of the inner challenges and the inner work I needed to be doing as well so the my solution was to run away from me by going to the other side of the world where where no one knew me and to to hope that it would get better but it didn't
0: (laughs) yeah I mean that's, that's the hard thing isn't it when you're in that kind of state of you're doing all right you're doing better than you once were but you still don't feel happy with who you are or what you're doing right so you kind of go on this journey of self-discovery and for some people you know even though you've already done the whole you know say drink and drugs thing for some people it's traveling so you you kind of like okay cool i'm gonna travel the world and along the way i'll find myself and i'm wondering because before we started recording you mentioned you had 12 startups at one point you've you've run through 12 startups Mm -hmm. did you have any of these kind of startup ideas while you were traveling or you know were they kind of things that you decided once you came back and were kind of in a rut
1: yeah, it was more, so I had, um, when I left my recruitment job, I technically started my first startup, and that got off to a good start, but then I, I essentially got distracted and took my eye off the ball with that, and went to the next shiny object, which I've always sort of regretted to a degree, because like, I wonder where that would have went, it's, uh, and that was like an internet-based business, I was really into the internet Uh, like the internet side of things and so the next one was still internet based but I had this had this idea that I didn't have to be in the UK doing it which is a valid idea Um, but there's also the reality of it's quite hard to travel and build a startup at the same time. Like you kind of need to focus on this like one or the other. Like at least get the startup going and then travel. Uh, but I was trying to do both at the same time. So I came back because I just had that insight that as much as I love travelling and I to this day I thrive of travel travelling, I wanted to build a bit. I wanted to build. It goes back to why I joined as a bricklayer. I just had this urge. To build, and that's probably the one insight that came from my travels away. So I came back to the UK. Uh, I didn't go back into employment. I, I didn't go back into employment for. Well, I say even when I mean it was till my latter twenties. So the best part of seven eight years, um, and even then, when I sort of took a corporate role, because. By this time, like my 11th startup had failed, or something, I had no money, uh, even that was a contract. But yeah, when I came back from that travel, it was, I'm gonna figure this out. And um, I essentially started doing some uh, like marketing because uh, I'm taking a lot of the stuff I learned from the student businesses. But the challenge that I had again was, I still had this underlying depression and this like severe low confidence and I was starting to recognize some of these addictions that were starting to rear their head a lot more than I had recognized maybe a couple of years earlier so I was trying to get these businesses going and trying to do stuff but I was getting in the way of me <laughs> in from so many different angles and, and yeah it, it was very hard to accept that Very, very hard to accept that.
0: Yeah. And so you're kind of blowing through these startups in your 20s. You're like, right, I don't want to work for anybody. I'm going to work for myself. And you get to this point, you're like, okay, forget that. That's not working. But you did eventually get to a point where you started a business with a reason or with a purpose. And it started to kind of fly. Mm. It started to kind of work. Talk me through that business in particular, because you know we could sit here for hours and hours talking about the other eleven or twelve, but yeah. you know this is the one that I believe started you off on the kind of track
1: you're on now. Yeah. So when um, when I was in my late twenties, I got offered a uh, a contract working for a big sort of global boutique company, but the same guy actually who uh, I was at university with and told me to snap out of it like why can't I just snap out of it, is it like it's crazy how things work um and so I took that contract because I needed some money like I just didn't have any money and I was just coming up to 30 and I had this sense on what I wanted to do like I was um I'd become uh, particularly interested in like uh, franchising and the franchise sector um I just love the idea of taking something that works and replicating it and I had identified uh, like a, a model that I quite liked, which was um, helping people uh, transition out of their jobs into franchises. I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I sort of had that in mind, but I was also very conscious that I was having this great time working in this corporate role. And when I was like right on the brink of turning 30, I just sort of had a conversation with myself and was like, you're just about to 10.30, you're no longer in your 20s, you've got no mortgage, no family, no major commitments. If you're going to do this entrepreneurial thing, you have to do it now. Now's the time. And so it was quite a hard decision um, because I truly loved that role, that contract. I loved it. I was having so much fun and sort of making uh, good money as well. But I decided that, no, I wanted to be true to myself. So I left that, moved back into my parents' house and started what was my, as it turns out, my last sort of like startup that was semi-successful, um, and that was a business that helps people transition out of corporate life into business ownership uh, through franchising. So having a like a pre-pre set out business model for them to go into, and I was building that for about six years. I had a team of people that was around about eight, nine people by the very end of it. But the problem was I wasn't making any money. Like It was just about washing its face. And in the early days, it's like, I'm going to work even harder and push even harder and and keep going. Um, But it just started to dawn on me that, where's this going? Like You're not getting in. You're putting so much in. I was working so long, so hard on this and getting nothing. And it was when... I found out that I was going to be a dad to my daughter Evie, that was when I stopped and I was like, something needs to change here. Like, something needs to change. And that was the point in which I got started onto the path I am now. And really, like, I look at my daughter Evie and I'm like, it's so funny because for years i ran away from relationships and the idea of the responsibility of fatherhood because I wanted successes in in the business world. But actually it was being in a relationship and being a father that has given me that success. Like the irony is never lost on me. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. It's
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's apparently one of the secrets to entrepreneurship is, in effect, having a supportive partner. So having somebody that you can kind of yeah. bounce ideas off or build yourself up with. And, you know, that can be a co-founder, but it can also be a, a romantic partner or a wife or that type of thing. And there's also this element of, as a man, when you have a child, you have this kind of feeling of like, oh no, I need to kind of get my, my stuff together. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. not a feeling that I'm aware of just yet because I don't have any children, but I've heard it you know countless times from other people it's like when I had my son or when I had my daughter, or when my wife got pregnant or, you know, when I found out about this, that, I suddenly decided that I need to like either get going or go work hard, like go work 24 hours a day for somebody else and just make this money type thing. So you heard you were having your daughter and you realised that at some point she would need childcare. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, this is how this kind of went down. So you're guessing at one point, or you're saying to yourself at one point, okay, she's going to need childcare. And you thought, well, I don't want to pay someone else. Why don't I just start my own childcare business? Or is that not how it went down?
1: It was slightly different. So my aspirations, I've always wanted to build a sizable business. I've, I've known that. Um, and my aspirations has always been, for some unbeknown reason, to build a group companies like I've always had this idea of this group and I tried doing it with my startup but for various reasons it didn't quite work out in terms of the type of group I was looking to build um, and then I discovered that uh, I was expecting EV and ever since my teenage years I can't explain why but I've always had this idea that I was going to buy and sell businesses like that just felt like me even though I knew no one who'd done that there's very few sort of uh, like the more celebrity business People now, people like Richard Branson and Peter Jones, and you know all of that. There was, there's no one out there doing that. I don't even know where I got the idea from, but I was, I was convinced that was me, and that's what I wanted to do. But I felt like I needed some experience before going into that world. And so when I was, I found out I was expecting Evie. I basically spent a lot of time reflecting on, you know, what type of dad I wanted to be. Um, what type of role model i wanted to be what i wanted to do how i wanted to manage myself and i came to the conclusion that nothing had changed with my aspirations if anything i felt even more ambitious um and but the time was now so that got me started on uh, the path i'm on which is sort of acquiring and turning around and selling companies and um i went i done a little bit of training and i just went full pelt and it's like 100 miles an hour, and I acquired my first company within three months of uh, going through the training, and uh, I had a great experience, I loved it, and it was just mad to me that I'd spent all of these years having so many failed startups, and even the one that was semi-successful, though I think it's more accurately semi, a semi-failure in many ways, yet overnight i had acquired this fully working operational business that had everything figured out that i couldn't figure out before but it had a few problems but i could see the problems and i knew how to fix them just I just kind of knew how to fix them. And so that was really interesting to me. And a lot of those problems were fixed within three months of buying the business. So within six months, I'd gone from a complete newbie to having acquired a business, a 30-year-old company, and fixing the main problems in it. I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, and this, at this point, we had just gone into full lockdown in the UK. So the first wave of lockdowns. And um, we had still been... Uh, well, just prior to lockdown, we'd still been going to the like the children's groups with Evie, and so I had this sort of probably the most successful like, business taste I'd had to date, like in my life, uh, just like fresh in my mouth. And we were going to these children groups, and I was really sort of engaging and uh, just fascinated by this little girl who was my daughter. And then as I started to look around this world, it just felt really disjointed. Like, it just felt like, oh, this is a, not the experience I thought. I thought, like, the businesses here in this, in the children's world, because it's children, I thought they had everything lined up. But, man, it was the complete opposite. It was so disorganized and flaky. And I just felt like, hmm, I don't know. I just felt like there might be something more there. That's what got my curiosity going but then over the summer of 2020 when everyone was in lockdown myself like a lot of other people spent a lot of time you know reflecting on life and I was doing a lot of running and just going out and just enjoying that fabulous hot summer we had then and I just again recognised that if I was gonna work this hard in business it had to be more than just money like there had to be more to it because Don't get me wrong, I like money, but it doesn't motivate me the way I thought it did. In many ways, I don't really care about it. Like, I I just don't care about it. But I'd always, always been fascinated by using business as a vehicle for driving change. And But I never knew where to point that. So I'd never really explored it. But then coming into this new world as a dad and seeing it from like the customer's perspective and then having this recent success of buying and turning around a company and then it's like thinking oh this could be the area where that's all that sort of like social like it all came together for me and so I made a decision in it's just after Evie turned one August 2020 I said to myself I'm going to move into the sector I don't care I've got no aspirations I've got no agenda I don't care I just want to play a part however small that is I just am doing it like for me because at the centre of this is it's about the kids and I just want to do what I can to help shape their lives and their education and everyone around me was like are you mad this is a complete 180 to everything that we've been doing and it's just a completely different world we don't know anything it's like I don't care like this is this is more than just commercial reasons there's a deeper purpose to this and it's amazing really because after all those years of trying, all of those failed startups, um, even the semi-failure as well, the the loss, everything, having made that decision about this is something more than just the commercials, fast forward two years, we're multi-million revenue, we've got just under 20 employees, we're educating uh, just under 10,000 under five-year-olds each academic term in the UK, and we barely got started. It just blows my mind. And I... I look back on that and I think just, wow, like it's when you come at things from a slightly different intent and you have that why, as we're talking about pre, uh, like, you know, the start of the show, you know, the why we're doing things, that why is the center of everything that we're doing. And I've learned a lot from that. And so with other areas of my life, I've started looking at it thinking, what is my why here? And it's. Uh, as Simon Sinek in his book, you start with why, like it's so true. You figure out the why, and the rest just kind of falls into place. Yeah, no,
0: you're 100% right there. And it's, it's something that a lot of big businesses do and a lot of small businesses do very well, which is focus on the customer or the client experience. If you focus on that, it's not like you can't lose because there's other things you have to get right as well. But if that is what you're focused in on, then things are going to go a lot better. So, we kind of went a long distance before we even started the, uh, the kind of crux of the conversation, but buying and selling businesses, that is what you do at this current moment in time. And you're currently Mm. only focused on the childcare sector. Is that correct?
1: So there's in the world of buying and selling businesses, there's multiple strategies you can take lots of different ways. You can approach it depending on what your goals are. Um, with the children's businesses, the goal is very much to acquire. Uh, in most cases, they are underperforming businesses, so they're being bought, they're being fixed, but then they're being fixed with a long-term view of we aren't. This isn't being sold. This is part of a much bigger picture here, and that has taken shape quite nicely. And I'm very fortunate to have engineered things so that I'm not involved at all day to day there's a team of people far more capable than I am of running those businesses and and doing the things I'm not very good at, which is great because it gives me a lot more bandwidth. So the children's businesses are very much a you know buy and hold type of approach. But I also love I mean my skill set is the turnaround, it's the acquisition and the turnaround so I love going into underperforming businesses and uh, solving the problems with an eye to I'm going to go in, solve these problems, and then I'm going to hand it over, so essentially sell it to someone who's got the aspirations to run this this better ship, like this slightly better vehicle than it would have been. And a lot of the businesses I look at are just going into... Um, they're not at bankruptcy. They're a few steps before that, but they know that they've got about 6 to 12 months before they sort of reached that. And so with my time, I, I do a lot of different things. I do a lot of sort of athletic stuff, but I, from a business perspective, I look at those opportunities and I choose the right ones where I feel I can actually, um you know, do this. And I go in and it's normally, uh, uh, the process is normally like lasts anywhere from a couple of months up to sort of six months or so, like the turnaround piece, depending on what he's doing. My last one, uh, my acquisition was a much more lengthier one that's some major problems that I just didn't see when I went in um, and I'm in the process of exiting that business so uh, we're due to close the end of the month which is next Friday um, I think it might go back a week but we're nearly there so and I do that because I love the thrill of it it's financially rewarding and it's also from a lifestyle perspective it's pretty cool because it's normally in the tents few months and then you exit and it's like radio silence and you can have a bit more balance and you can you know, enjoy other things. But then when you feel ready, you can sort of go again, essentially.
0: Yeah, and I think the the lovely lesson here is that you were trying to start your own business. You were trying to go from zero to one for a long time and you weren't quite getting to the one and then you got to the one with that one business you had for about six months. But now you're in this process of taking a business from say like five, to 10 or five to six, you know what I mean? You're kind of really taking something that's running and making it run more efficiently. But one thing that, you know, I think the listener would be kicking me if I didn't ask you about this is, how do you find the money? Finding the business is clearly something that, you know, anybody could do. But how do we finance these deals? Because from my understandings, you don't come from a rich family or anything like that, where you could have just borrowed a quick million from your parents How are you finding the money to do these things, Adrian?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a great question. I'm always asked that, and I love sharing the answer to this. Um, Before I do, I just want to touch on something you said, because I think it's a really insightful point you've touched on there. One thing I've recognised, and I don't hear many people talk about this, which is why I feel the urge to talk about this, um, is that, for me, an entrepreneur... It's cut from one cloth, like an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur. But what I've learned is that that's not technically true. There's different grades, there's different types of entrepreneurs out there. I was a terrible startup entrepreneur, but I'm quite a good acquisition entrepreneur. There's people who are very good at going from zero revenue to a million revenue. I'm more the person who's good at going from a million, a million and a half revenue up to five, maybe even ten. And, it's, and and I know that that's kind of where I stop, because there's also other entrepreneurs who are very good at going in at 10 million, taking it up to 50. And I think it's a key insight that if you are a business owner or entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur listening to this, is to ask yourself, well, where am I on that? Am I more of a startup entrepreneur, or actually am I more of a latter stage of a business's growth? Because there's different skill sets required for each. And... My problem was that I was a square peg trying to fit into a uh, like a round hole, like the startup hole for so many years. And that was a big reason for the failure, if not the main reason for the failure. Um, so recognising that is very important. But back to the main question, uh, how do I finance these? So I have done, uh, I think it's nine acquisitions now, and I haven't financed any of them with my own money my first view i simply didn't have the money and um i quickly learned that acquiring businesses is risky because when you are say buying a house you've got something to show for it you've got bricks mortars your windows your door um you've got something physical to show for it but when you're buying a business particularly a small business you're essentially buying contracts and you're essentially buying uh not people like you can never own another person but you've got people organized within that invisible sort of uh uh, infrastructure but the problem is with small businesses is that uh when you acquire a business like there will be some people who would have been there for far too long and they just will not no matter what you say, they just do not want to listen, they're out of the door. Now, quite a sizable small business is say 10 people. That's a good size small business. But two of those people leave that's 20% of your workforce. So all of a sudden, as a small business, you're trying to operate on 20% of the workforce in a business you don't know or understand, that's a very risky place to be in. The second thing is that in principle you're buying contracts, but the reality is most of the small businesses don't have contracts, and if they do have contracts, they're not worth the paper they're written on. So I have lost count of the, it's terrible to say it, but the amount of small businesses I've looked at, and I've looked at hundreds, where they don't have employment contracts, And if they do have employment contracts, these are like the templated ones you get for like $20 a month subscription that that you get access to a thousand different legal templates. And so it's a very risky place. So even if I had a a bucket load of money like in those earlier days, it would have been foolish of me, absolutely foolish of me to, to use that. Instead, the trick to this is it's all about structuring the deal in a way in which you're minimizing your risk, but also you're doing it alongside the seller. It's kind of bringing your chair around to their side of the table because they want to leave and you need to understand what their real motivations are for leaving because it's almost always non-financial. They're not leaving because they want the big paycheck although they expect that but actually they're the real reason they're, leave, they're leaving when you um, dig into it is because they've just had a close family member unexpectedly pass away and it shook them and made them realize they've been doing this for 20 years they've got 10 years left of their working career they want to try something different um, and it's it's understanding that so that you can structure in a way that is truly win-win like truly win-win so um, yeah I've never I mean, I've never used a, like a penny of my own money quite simply because for a long time I didn't have any.
0: <laughs> yeah. So seller side financing where you're coming in and going, hey, this business is making X amount in profit. I'll be willing to split that with you 50-50 for the next, let's say, year, six months or whatever else. Or when I do finally fix this up and sell it on, you'll get a, an equal portion of you know the representative value in the future type thing
1: it's more um it's more a case of so we value the business at x. and I mean, I you know the my last acquisition, the you know the the the, pi- the price on paper of you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands, like but I'm not paying like significant amounts of money on day one, like it's just not happening. Um, so it's more a case of this is the price we agree, so you're going to get this money. however, there are um like the payments of this is going to be deferred over a period of time and if anything comes up that is uh impacting the business then we agree that that's going to come off the money that's owed so i'll give you an example here of the type of things that can happen so my last acquisition uh there were so many things there was I got into it, and about two weeks in, I I received a letter from HMRC saying the business had overclaimed uh, on furlough payments during COVID and had to immediately repay sixteen and a half thousand pounds. I mean, this is before my time, like so that came off the consideration. Um, They, they, this one situation has wound me up more than anything else. They had a this business, they had a large customer accidentally pay an invoice twice £20,000 invoice twice and the previous owners didn't send back the payment for like the second £20,000 payment they just didn't say anything and so eventually the customer realised it's a big business they realised they came knocking saying hey, you owe us £20,000 or for show an invoice like saying that we, you know, we owed this which they knew they didn't and they didn't and so it's like well he should pay for that and and so that's why you structure it in that way and owners recognize that because it's yes they would like all the money but also what they really want is to run away from a lot of the problems and just to not be for it not to be on their shoulders because when you buy a business believe me you are going into a world of problems and there are other people's problems that you're going to in to try and solve so <laughs>
0: yeah no okay that that makes sense then so structuring the deals is very important and structuring it in a way that benefits the seller but for mm. you as somebody who's looking for businesses you said you're looking for a business that's you know not quite on the verge of bankruptcy or quite on the verge of shutting down but they're on that kind of slow trajectory not down but you know what i mean as in things aren't working out so well where do you kind of find these deals and you know, what is the kind of thing that you see that's a common problem in all these businesses? Just in case the listener is thinking of doing something
1: similar. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a place now where these these deals tend to find me. Um, at the start, that wasn't the case. It was like anything, you have to be proactive, you have to go out there, uh, you have to sort of knock on doors and say, hey, you know, I'm interested and have a lot of conversations until you start to find those type of businesses but even then you don't really know what type of businesses you're looking for so it's all just like a a learning curve but now these businesses tend to come to me the owners tend to be in a place where they know there's problems they're not expecting uh, say a massive payday from it what they want more than anything else is just a quieter life they want to hand these problems over to be able to walk away with the head held high that they can they can very justifiably say they sold their business. Um, a lot of these businesses, they will have people problems. So I'm yet to see a small business that hasn't employed at least one family member or close friend. Uh, the last one I had had um, a son, a, um, a wife, a uh, best mate and a couple of kids from a couple of people who they have known like since sort of school days in the business. So there's a recipe for disaster. And a lot of the problems are stemming from those people. But as the owner, it's very hard to fire your wife. And it's very hard to fire your best mate. And so being able to step away from that and someone like me come in and be able to start ripping off the plasters, it, it gives them a way out, and uh, an, an amicable way out. So, um, yeah, that's the common situation. The other common problem, big, big problem, is the financial side, which is probably no great surprise. Uh, the last business, um, I don't say it's in any form of disrespect, but um, it was the wife who was running the finances and uh, she spent her uh, sort of career working as a, din- a dinner lady for, for 20 years and then was sort of pulled into uh, the business by her husband because he was desperate and you know, complete hats off. She just rolled her sleeves up and got stuck in with no qualifications, no training, no real handover. The handover was, she told me, it was basically here's a box of paper like crack on with it and uh and in that context she'd done a great job but it wasn't sufficient for a small business so that's a that's a big one as well the finances in the team is really important and you can solve a lot of stuff with those but it does bring up problems when you start um when you start sort of talking to people and uh, i mean yeah, the, the the current acquisition. I had people stealing. I've had people lying. That's caused major major problems. That's cost the business, and you have to deal with that. Puts them out of place. They've never been confronted in that way before, and some of them can be quite spiteful as well. So, yeah, is is but that comes with the that comes with the territory, I guess. So.
0: Yeah. Cool. So we've got the kind of basics of buying and selling businesses but on one side over here you're building an empire that you said that you're buying businesses you're not trying to sell them talk to me about the kind of economies of scale or the benefits of having this group how does it become cheaper how does it work better having this group or this conglomerate of childcare businesses or child focused businesses yeah so I mean
1: two of our companies are franchise networks so they're children franchises and between them we have around 70 franchisees across the UK, Islands, uh, a couple in Australia and even the Middle East um, now one of the challenges of children's franchise networks is that uh, the compared to say like a McDonald's or a Domino's the food and beverage like the ticket values are much lower so you've got people paying £5 for a class compared to you know £20 as an average order for a pizza um, and yeah, you've got different costs in there as well but it puts the children's franchisor in a position where they start to hit glass ceilings in terms of profit and income producing capabilities quite quickly uh, but when you start... Bringing these together, they've got the same functions. It's recruiting franchisees, it's supporting franchisees. So you can start to uh, bring those together and have one franchise recruit, recruitment person but selling two or three different brands. And in many ways, it works even better because if someone inquires about one brand and the, the location is already taken, then the recruiters say, well Wait a minute, we've also got these two brands where the location that you want is available should we talk about that so you've got the cost saving plus the synergy of being in that position and it's and it's the same across like the support function and other uh, other components of the business so when you start putting them together they very quickly start to become a lot more profitable and it puts you in a, in a situation which we're kind of not quite there yet but we're moving towards it now where we have our blueprint we have the infrastructure and now it's looking for say younger brands or other brands that fit into like the social purpose of what we're doing. Um So they, so they provide services that complement the other services that we provide and ultimately, you know, shape the development of the child. Uh, but because we have the infrastructure that this younger brand can't, we can plug them in and blow them up quite quickly. So from an acquisitions perspective, I'm currently looking at A couple of those deals sort of younger brands where we can plug them into our framework and uh, sort of grow it from there. Lovely
0: well Adrian you, you kind of have had this thread throughout the whole kind of conversation here of about purpose and having a purpose is what can guide you in the right direction and you're quite big on let's say endurance events fitness talk to me you know briefly about what those look like for you are you an ultra marathoner are you a CrossFitter? what does that look like for you and why do you do that kind of stuff
1: yeah so i so i done my my i got into this and people look at some of the stuff i do recently and they never understand how it started so i done my first event which was a half marathon because I was living that crazy student lifestyle and I was out sort of like drinking and I was like really down and I just didn't really know what was going on I felt I needed to do something good for myself so I signed up for a half marathon and i done that and I enjoyed it and I was like oh well maybe I could do a marathon so that led to doing the marathon It was the London marathon and then after that I was like yeah I still really enjoyed that maybe I could do a triathlon and so it then went on to doing the London triathlons like sort of year after year and then I'd done the London Triathlon, and I'd done it in a time much faster than I thought I would. And I came out of that in of actually feeling quite elated, like, yeah, this is really cool. Maybe I could do an Ironman. Um, and I had this idea that I could, but I didn't do anything with it for years. And it was when I was in my, about 26, yeah, 26, 27. And again, I was in this cycle of like self-abuse from my alcohol and living a terrible lifestyle trying to get your startups going failing and feeling deflated and I was like I'm going to do something good for myself like I did back at the beginning and I'm going to sign up for an Ironman and I'm just going to go for it and I had 3 months to train and I done it and I loved it um but again after that feeling on a natural high I uh, decided I didn't decide, but I didn't do anything for a long time after because I couldn't afford anything else. Like I had to beg, borrow, and steal a bike, and every I didn't even have running trainers when I'd done it. I was just like, just had nothing, um, like from a financial perspective. And then um, it was it was probably about eighteen months ago when I was uh, having a bit of a difficult time with anxiety actually, and I just wanted to do something for me that wasn't business focused that was and I mean this in the nicest way but it wasn't family focused it was just something for me and so I'd always liked the idea having done the Ironman that was my last major event of doing something a bit more adventurous and ideally that combined in uh, the traveling so I ended up doing an event which was uh, running cycling and kayaking across Scotland uh, which was phenomenal and I loved it and I felt so alive and that led to just sort of bigger and bigger stuff so in March of this year I was in the Arctic Circle on a multi-day endurance event uh, we camped out in minus 17 degrees uh, Celsius and woke up the next morning and we ended up climbing wasn't on our plan to do it but we ended up climbing this mountain in what turned out to be you know, sunny when we started, and storm by the time we got to the peak, and that was an incredible experience. Um, in June of this year, I've done an ultra, seventy mile ultramarathon across North England, so from east to west. Um, in November of this year, I'm uh, participating in the Spartan, Spartan races. So, um, participating in the the world championship in Sparta in Greece, which I'm super excited about. And uh, next March I'm heading to Panama for a 14 day jungle trek from uh, literally like the west coast to the east coast, east to west one of the two. And I do them because it's put me on this path of better understanding myself. And every time I do these events I'm like like every time I do them I come away and all of this good stuff happens in every other area of my life as well and I know it's connected and I know it's because I'm breaking down personal barriers like mental barriers and physical barriers and it's just having a a knock-on effect to that and so more than anything else it's piqued my curiosity like what else could I do so I'm 38 next week actually Uh, but for my 40th I've already earmarked that I want to go to the South Pole like, I'm determined to go to the South Pole for my 40th. I've got no idea how I'm going to do it, no idea how I'm going to fund it, or anything like that, but that's my goal. At some point, I will run across America. I don't know when. Like, I've got young family. You can't just take, like, three months off. But it's just given this whole new lease of life that's adding a, a significant amount in other areas because I'm coming back a more fuller and refreshed person, which makes me a better dad, makes me far more... Better like going into the children's businesses because I'm filling my cup first at which point I'm going to start filling others.
0: Yeah, that's 100% right, because I was uh, working with a a very kind of, I wouldn't say big or well-known personal trainer, but a personal trainer, and he said, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, I don't have time to exercise because I need to do this, I need to do that. It's like, actually, the better care you take of yourself is the better person you can be to all these people you care about, which is, you know, 100% true, and it's, it's something that you just said there. So you're doing all these things to kind of improve yourself and become a better person, and one thing that we haven't really spoken about in this whole conversation is kind of, you know, what you do and why you do it in a kind of a, a totalitarian kind of sense of why do you do what you do and why does it bring you joy? So the question I want to ask you is, what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy?
1: Um, in all honesty, it's the... there's there's like two sides of the same coin here is on the first side it's about the self-discovery so from a personal level it's about the self-discovery it's not about making money or doing this it's that self-discovery like in many ways i'm still trying to figure out who i am as i was when i had that nervous breakdown at 19 i'm still trying to figure that out and i keep surprising myself and learning new things and i don't think that will ever stop i'm starting to realize and it's just but that's exciting because you just want to keep pulling back the layers and pulling back as many as you can before you can't pull back anymore you know so that's on the one side and on the other side it's i've i've of of all the traveling of the success from a business perspective certainly the failures just sort of everything i've found the most fulfillment in the most basic like the most basic form of being of service and i know that might sound a bit woolly but just being of service to someone else is is a like it gives a level of fulfillment i've never quite experienced and that's in the context of having traveled over 45 countries having done some pretty cool stuff in like the arctic circle and that sort of stuff like that is amazing and i'm so grateful to have you know, have had those opportunities, but nothing has quite reached that very basic thing of being of service. And it could be as simple as opening the door for someone, but genuinely doing it with an intent of, let me get that for you. Like, it's okay, you don't need to struggle. I want to help here. And so that is a, a new sort of phase of life I could feel myself coming into, something that I want to embrace quite deeply. and to just see where that goes where can the people find you online I'm very active on Instagram my handle is uh, Adrian J Knight with a K and um, I love getting messages from people I love hearing what people are up to like what they're struggling with and uh, just just listening to some learning about people really and if I can provide any support or advice it's always, always great to do so
0: thank you for listening to People Explained new episodes come out every Monday We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.